All right, this is a very hastily thrown together inappropriate Earl because unfortunately, as you know, the legendary Mitzi Shore passed away a couple weeks ago. And uh, tomorrow at the Comedy Store is a very uh, invite-only, not party, but um, celebration of life. And you have comics flying from all over the country to see her and on my couch right now i've been doing stand-up comedy 20 years been doing it so long i don't know when i started i have one of my favorite people i've ever met in the world of stand-up comedy he was passed by mitzi he is a comedy store legend paid regular now living in jacksonville in the mortgage business Which goes to show you the craziness of this business that someone so talented like my guest is selling uh, real estate mortgages. I'm selling money. You got speaking. I'm selling money. The great, legendary Joey Marmo. That is a, a tall order to follow for a mortgage broker. But it's true, though. Like, you're one of the funniest dudes I've ever met. You're that's I'm that's very nice and kind and I'm extremely honored someone would think that of me. But that's the crazy thing about this business is you see some of the shit that's on TV now, they couldn't follow you. It's kind of like the Brian Holtzman. Someone told me once that the what's wrong with Hollywood is Brian Holtzman, that no one you know, he should be you know more people should know that that guy is funny. You know. Oh my! I say that about you. Holtzman is like I sit. I go. Yeah, I'm so selfish that I don't like to watch a lot of stand-up comedy. I want to do it. Right. You know. Right. I can imagine it's like Tom Brady. I'm not putting myself on his level as a comic, but I imagine Tom Brady doesn't like to watch football. <laughs> right. He wants to play it. Right. That's funny because I don't like watching comics either. It just it doesn't do anything for me. And I. He, go even on my off nights to watch Brian Holtzman every weekend at the store because it's like a comedy class. I would love to catch one of his set. I haven't seen him live in years. We used to do Sunday nights and Mitzi would uh, let us kind of run the Sunday night deal. We got all the stage time we needed on Sunday nights. She would be in the back. She'd do her, um, you know, her, her, her tests, her, what do you call it? I'm saying I'm showcase her showcase <laughs> her test, her which test. were tests, <laughs> right? Because even and, and, if you were good enough to be passed, you know, she might not pass you right away to see if you had what it took. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. uh, it, there's my very first girlfriend is in uh, looking at you right now. Looking chat. At me. chat. Jennifer Molina. Is she from the East Coast? No, she is. Uh, she's from out here. Live well. I don't want to say where she lives. Just I don't. My fans can be a bit on the creepy side. But yeah, we're on. I'm on. I'm on a street here. I'm not going to say the street. Uh, well, I'm I in live West on, Hollywood. But I mean, Jennifer was my first love, and uh, I was not very good with women back then. So I apologize, Jennifer. Earl, your first love was show business. Well, that's my uh, and stand up comedy. That's your first love. I'm I'm married to. Uh, one love of my life, and that's comedy. So hello to Jennifer. Jennifer, this is the legendary Joey Marmo. Uh, I'm an old man now, Jennifer. But Well, she might be into old men. I don't know what she's into <laughs> these days. Uh, I was horrible with women back then. I mean, I, I hope Jennifer isn't embarrassed by me saying this, but one time we were kissing, and I, let's just say I, um, I might have... Uh, things started to rise... And she looks at me and goes, uh, I think we should sit down. <laughs> but what could I do? I was like 14. Oh, my gosh. So uh, you know, Th- those were NRBs. Yeah. Well, that was a reason, but we used to call them for no reason. NRBs were no reason for a, a boner. boner. Right. Uh, well, she is and was, uh, I mean, uh, way out of my league. But uh, Jennifer, I love you. We'll talk soon. But getting back to Mitzi, like how and because you were passed by a prime Mitzi Shore, like how special was that? Three week, I came back. I was working. I worked at the phones, so I was. I you know had. I knew the pulse of the store. I was working the phones for three years, and uh, did the door occasionally uh, with the late great Freddie Soto. Right, Do you remember Freddie? 
Um, so we all came up together. Um, yeah, that was thrilling. It happened on my lucky day. On the everything happens on the tw- on a twenty ninth. So I was passed on the twenty ninth of June or something like that. March, I can't remember. But when you where you're in front of her, you're very nervous. Like you want to be. She always used to say, you know, be yourself on stage. And so you have to get to that point where you're not. You don't care that she's there, right? And where your art form is coming into. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, maturity. So, yeah, it it was amazing. I It was, up to that time, the most important thing, other than graduating high school, maybe, or something. (laughs) What year was this? It was in, um, oh, my gosh. 90s? 95, I think. Which is kind of a weird time for stand-up, because you had the boom of the 80s, kind of, you know, with the Dices and the Kennisons. There was a, right. Between 91 or 96, 7, there was not much going on. I, you know, Chris Tucker came out at that time and at the store. Seinfeld was, uh, you know, what it was. And, you know, uh, I guess it, the Cosby show was kind of. Uh, I, I remember Joe Rogan was sitting near her on one of those three weeks because I did it three weeks in a row. And um, I hit the zone. You know, you get in the zone and you're. You're you're hitting your notes and you're yourself and you're being you're funny and people are laughing and it was a, a culmination of many years of be, being at the store doing coffee houses in Venice Beach and and then you're at the comedy store. It's really a surreal experience, you know. You know. Yo, I mean, it's uh, it's amazing. It's I tell people to get your name on the wall at the comedy store. It's like the Stanley Cup. Your name's on there forever, <laughs> right? Like, like there's it's never going. Uh, to be taken off the wall uh yeah you know it, it's it's still four years later for me it's a huge i still get chills when i walk by i had to wait so you long. get chills when you see your name 100 oh, right, still right. i could be walking by in the daytime to go to the gym you know i had to wait so long to get past that my name is right on the front wall like it, it in that sense couldn't have been any better for me because it's it's in the middle think about how many comics have come through in in forty five years, there's probably what seven or eight hundred names on the wall. Uh, I mean, it, there's so many. Uh, yeah, I mean, Let, let's just say let's there's nine hundred. Right. Okay. And think about the hundreds of thousands of comedians that have come through. Maybe a, I don't know if there's a hundred thousand comedians in the world ever, <laughs> but maybe since well, forty five years or whatever. Right. And how many she saw, Mitzi? So. Um, to this day, I just pulled into town. I'm an outsider, right? I'm in. I live in the suburbs. I have a family on the East Coast. I pull in to, and I'm driving down Sunset, and I see the comedy show. I'm like, wow! And it's like, I did that. You know, it's 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 crazy. It's really unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, that's like my one regret is not getting to, uh, I guess, showcase or, or really. I never even met Mitzi. Uh, that's wild to me. What year did you come in? I mean, I came in initially in 2000, and this is going to go a little deep for the non-LA comedy store crowd, but uh, I, I walked through the back door, and the first comic I saw was this uh, kind of a homeless comic by the name of Scotty Barron, and he always would play a guitar on stage, <clears throat> and he had a song called Britney Spears Fucked Me in the Ass. So that was the first comic I ever saw on stage at the comedy store. I'm like, oh, this is kind of wild. And His I, name's probably not on the wall. It's not. Um, <laughs> and then I walked outside, and the second comic I met was Gaylord Dangler, who was a legendary open micer. Uh, he would do the same bits. Uh, hey, I lost 30 pounds. <laughs> I lost my leg. <laughs> you know, Just like the worst hacky jokes. Yeah. But all the comics in the back would recite them. Like it was, I think it was he an older guy. Yeah. He was there forever. I mean, he was there longer than Boone Shakalaka. Um, yeah. Who's, uh, so I remember that guy and yeah. it was so annoying. He was annoying. He was, uh, yeah. And he was strange, crazy. Yes. But at some, the time he was in his probably almost fifties, uh, fifties right. back then. Oh my uh, gosh! I remember that. Now you bring these are bad memories. But it's so hard Open to ex- mics. explain him to other people, like how someone so bad would just every comic 
hey, Gaylord's going to be on. We'd all go in the back and watch him because he was so out there. and um, He was like a robot. Well, he did, he did the same set, like literally. For like 40 years. In the six, seven years I knew him, I don't think I ever heard him do a new joke. It's just the classic hits. <laughs> and uh, But I guess back then the, I wasn't really trying to make it. You know, I was just having not fun, but it was a social thing for me as well. So, right. uh, so he was the second comic I saw, and that, so I left for about seven, eight years. I didn't go to the comedy store because then I saw Brody Stevens make someone cry that night too. Really, he was hosting Potluck, and this kid had bombed pretty bad. He made the kid cry, and you know, I can't do a good Brody impression, but uh, he was like, "Hey, kid, where are you from?" And the guy's like, "La Jolla." And Brody just looked at him and goes, well, that drive just got a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back now, it's pretty funny. Right. But, but at the time? Back then, I was like, I don't think I'm ready for this place. Uh, oh, it's a, yeah, it's a, t it's a rough, tough. Well, in 2000, I think it was the real dark era of the club. You know, just not a lot of crowds. It was more a social, mm -hmm. you know, like the bar in Star Wars uh you know i think mitzi had stopped going up there a little bit more because uh, i never really saw her up there a lot back I'm, then see i okay i was out by then i had left in around 2000 but where did you go after like you went to I santa clarita right? I, I moved to, to santa, santa clarita valley here in los angeles county and i really did not come over the hill for for 10 years because i just you know i didn't i I was tired of it all. I've been in for 10 years. I also had three little mouths to feed babies. Right. And I didn't want to, um, the starving artist syndrome thing was, was getting old with Tracy, my wife now. And she just, uh, we had responsibility. I had to make a decision. I was at a crossroad. I, I had to say, um, I need to make money. And, uh, and I, we had a daughter that was 18 months. The twins were born. They're laying on the floor. I come into my apartment in Reseda. They're laying on the floor playing with their, you know, their activity thing after, you know, a few months. And I'm like, I, I've got to do something. So I went back into the real estate business, which is what I did before. This is really boring stuff. No, but this isn't like... It's it, life, though. But it's interesting because I want my fans... To go, oh, comedy is a tough business. Here's a funny fucking dude. I mean, dude, you are one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. And that's on the real. And, you know, you, at some point, it's like, I got it. Like, it's tough to make money in stand-up. Stand-up and, and acting. Because remember, we all want to do comedic acting. We, I was doing commercials. I was making some money in commercials. The girls were all born on SAG insurance, this and that. And then um, I wanted to make money. I wanted to have get a house have a i just wanted to switch gears and have a normal life and i and i did so i moved to santa clara with, with some another few years we, we established ourselves in my industry and i uh eventually was making money and we bought a house then we had another daughter so that we made four and by then i was uh, i had a successful business so i was completely removed from show business except one time paulie called me in 03 and told me to come do that paulie shore's dead movie and that was cool, but then I just kind of went back to the suburbs and had a normal life till 2010, where I met you, 09. The market crashed in real estate. I know. Okay. And so then I um, was bored. I was, I was losing money, and I came and saw, I came to the store. It was like, a, I had literally had not stepped foot in the place like for nine years. And it was weird because it was like a completely different scene. But I tried to give stand up another, I, you know, I went back into it and for two or three years and then other things happened and then we moved out of state. And uh, here, yeah, I mean, it's. And this is seven years ago from that. Right, right. So we left in 11 and, and that's me and Earl hung out for two or three years and became comedy brothers. It was a wonderful thing. And, you know, I was doing stand up again. I was refreshed and had new life and new stand up. And then. And then uh, other things happened that took us all out into another area of the country. And here, here we are. So Mitzi has a, had a profound impact on my life, and I w felt it very important to come back and honor her as any normal person would, would to a, a memorial service. Oh, it's going to be so... Uh, 
it's an honor to crazy be. tomorrow like you know people like rick overton are coming and is like, some old school people? oh yeah it's like yeah you, uh, you know a guy named there's a guy named rudy deluca's on the wall you ever heard of him no rudy deluca's in the front part of the building he's the one who started the store with mitzi and sammy shore and then of course um mitzi took over after um the divorce and then rudy deluca uh grew up with my mother so there was this other strange connection that I never even knew about because he wrote on the Carol Burnett show. And I actually just am going to go see him. He's still around. He lives in the hills. He's in his 80s. And um, it was a, it was a cool because, you know, I mean, he was, he's been out of it for years, but he's a, you know, he's just a retired writer. Well, yeah. He wrote with Mel Brooks. He was in High Anxiety. Um, he's the guy with the teeth in the shower. If you ever watch... It's been a while, but I did. I did. Funny movies. Oh, Mel Brooks is like eternal. Like so, Rudy. Um, Rudy's been here for you know since since his twenties, which he got here in the fifties. And this is what two thousand eighteen. Twenty eighteen. It is really good to see you, by the way, dude. It's great to see you, and I know this is like, you know, you were just coming over, and we we're going to have tacos, but like I was offering Tito the best taco in the world. I have your fix when you come into L.A. You have to get the food, you know, that you missed that when you live in you know Florida. And there's not many good taco stands. There's no taco stands in Florida. But you have such a history with the comedy store, and you actually do, Betsy. You know, that's the only thing that bothers me is all these people coming out of the woodworks acting like they were tight with her and how much she meant to them. It's like, you didn't know her. And, like, you know, she might have meant something to you, but, like, Joey is, like, an OG store guy. Like there's not many of us left. I mean, I'm not even an OG guy. Like, you know, the what, what's OG original. original. Like you, you okay. were passed by Mitzi. You, yeah. you were there when, you know, the club was at its peak and, and, you know, it's just fascinating to me that, you know, life took you in another direction and it did that for some other people too. A lot of people. Some don't have a. I'm fortunate, Earl, that I I had the uh, other side of the brain. The right. There's. I don't know which. What's the, the creative side is one side, and then there's a other side that you can turn on. It's, you know, the non-creative side. Right. And I was able to, you know, and I own a business again. I we we have a business in Florida, and I'm funny to my. I'm not even funny to my kids. They don't think I'm funny. Yeah, but what's nobody funny? thinks I'm funny. My wife will laugh at me off. Just just being who who you are. Just being yourself. Right now, I'm not being funny. I'm just talking, but we're, you know, being funny on stage is a completely different thing. Oh, yeah. That's why. It takes why. incredible amount of work. It's trial and terror. Oh, I, that's right? why people think, oh, I'm funny around my friends. I should be in stand-up. It's like, yeah, but your friends know you. You that, walk. Exactly. You know, I go out, let's say I go visit you and I go for some forsaken reason to go see Fred at the Comedy Zone in Jacksonville. <laughs> I just saw Fred a couple of weeks ago. Polly the was there. Polly Shore. Right. Fred is the uh, Booker owner. He owns the the, the it, it's a ho, it's a it's a mo, it's a hotel motel. The Ramada. Right. In Jackson. You were there with Schneider. Right? I was there with Schneider and Jeff Richards. And right. It was just he was a very interesting guy. You know, me and Jeff wanted to go to the gym one day, and you know, me and Jeff aren't from around there so they're like fred is there a gym around here he's like yeah there's a powerhouse gym right down the street he made it seem like it was maybe two blocks away so literally me and jeff just kept walking till we saw it, it was like four miles away that's a, that was the workout so we literally walked in the gym and walked back we got a drink of water and we walked back <laughs> that was the workout right he's an interesting bird you know he's old school i mean he had me jeff and rob teach a comedy class uh on uh saturday morning yeah and uh you know it was weird like the the one guy was like i don't under i don't know what i'm doing and i don't know why he asked me this question but he's like well, how should i do stand up i'm like just talk about what you love and talk about you know your life i mean what's your life like he's like well i just got out of prison for six years i'm like well you know there may be a lack of comedic material there well there probably is something i mean you know right i mean at what point in prison do you go i'm never going to be with a woman again i, I guess it i guess a dick is okay 
But I mean, that's funny. Yeah. Like, just yeah. I said, joke, joke about stuff like that. Right, right, right. You know, I mean, I joke about being straight, living in West Hollywood. Like, it's it's being yourself, and and comedy is truth. I think so. I you know, I used to try and fake it. Like, okay, what what does this guy in the front row look like? He likes. I'll joke about that, mm-hmm. but it wasn't true. Now I joke about '80s metal bands that I like. Yeah, and the majority of the crowd probably hasn't heard of Rat or or Bon Jovi because you know they're younger crowds these days. But they laugh at my enthusiasm for the material. Right. So, I mean, what advice did Mitzi give you? Like, did she like instill in you like what she thought was comedy? The one thing that I will never forget her saying, and to me and many comics, was "Be yourself." She wanted you to be yourself. It was that. It was the fakeness and the hacks and not being yourself. And I did weird characters and talked about my dis, you know dysfunctional family, which is still dysfunctional, and uh, you know the, my former roommates that I grew up with. But um, that is all part of how, how you become a comedian. You don't. I don't know any normal comedians. I mean, that can, I, I mean, unless they came from normal households, it's kind of par for the course. You have a jacked up childhood. I mean, maybe you have a, I don't know, but. No, my parents were, I mean, I was raised in a uh, very uh, unique household. Okay. Like, like people think it's normal because I don't drink or do drugs. Mm-hmm. But my mom basically bribed me not to drink. Uh-huh. You can put your feet up on the chair. Thank like, you. I, I was holding. No, no. That's how much I love Joey. You can put your feet up on my books. I don't need to put the feet up. I'm I would. Good. I'm good. I do the. I would let very few people put their feet. <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, I my parents slept in separate rooms. Uh, okay. Now I see some comedy coming. But no, I'm not trying to do bits in front of you. No, like, I know. No, I said we all have that past. Or, you know, we draw from strange. But I mean, they literally slept on complete opposite ends of the house. Dad upstairs in the north, most northern point of the home. Mom made the den into like her bedroom uh-huh. uh, at the, the southern tip of the house. And I remember when I spent the night at my friend's house, the very first time I spent the night at someone's house and his parents went in the same room at the end of the night, I'm like, Marcelo, what are your parents doing? They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, they're, they sleep in the same room. Like that was so foreign to me. Wow. So it was normal to you. Now I got to tell you, I'm in the real estate business and, and I, I've never heard the, the term Northern tip or Southern part of the house. So it sounds like you came from a very affluent neighborhood. Well, I, (laughs) because in the real estate business, we call that a bedroom <laughs> or that room. Well, I grew now, up, we were very the lucky. the northern tip of the estate. Well, it goes <laughs> into the weirdness of, uh, I lived a very strange life. Uh-huh. We grew up in Bel Air. California? Yes. Okay, see, I'm getting to something. I didn't know where you grew up. For all I know, you lived in a KB home or something, you know? So... You know, but we were like the Adams. You're family. very grounded. Well, but we my for par- being filthy rich. I wish I was as rich as everyone thinks I am. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out right now how to make payments. I've offered job. to buy you tacos today, so I don't know your economic. You know, uh, I mean, rich to me is Russell Peters. Okay, uh, or that guy owns Tesla. Right, Elon it's, Musk. Yeah, that guy. That's rich to me. Can I walk? Or the into, Google guys. Right, the, those Google brats. Or freaking Facebook. Right, right the oh, Zuckerbergs, the Winklevoss twins. Okay. Uh, you know, that's rich. Buffett. Right. But, but I'll, okay, so you're Spielberg type of money. No, not really. I mean, I can pay for my Netflix account. Okay. But, uh, you know some of my best humor now and it took me 15 years to figure it out is talk talk about my weird upbringing yeah like we grew up in bel-air but we weren't really no, rich. no i grew up in a 1500 square foot home and my parents slept in separate bedrooms <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what that means if, if any how it's part of the conversation but i did want to throw that in there <laughs> but i bet you they loved each other okay no, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. My parents did. Like, I'm not going to talk about my family right now. No worries. Okay. <laughs> I I don't want to upset anyone. 
Okay. They well, don't listen to your pro- They probably they don't Well, really it is ta- number 10 on iTunes. They Maybe don't they do. talk to me. I'm estranged, so it doesn't really matter, but I it's all good. It's a, well, I, I well It's all good. But uh, well, let's get it Why back do you to- have to bring up the past all the time, man? Because you know, I came here to say hi to you and you start digging into crap. <laughs> See, that's good acting right there. I was like, "Oh fuck, I pissed Joey off." The king. He can't make me upset. But well, listen, I'm too happy to see you. But like, the, I talk about the past because the past is when I when I got to the comedy store, I had a mother, a, a grand godmother, and someone who took in and showed love to every person who was part of that family. And so we are a brotherhood of of um, stand up comics. It's probably Joey's wife going, "What the hell that, are you doing?" See, someone just saw something. You hear that? Probably. Holy crap. Is it your wife? No. It's it's a Trader Joe's list with my daughters because my wife's at Trader Joe's. So every, we have a family text feed. I don't I never see anyone in my family. At, we're, they're all in separate be- they're all in their bedrooms and we're all talking to each other on the family text. But, I haven't seen them in months. But that's how it was. Four teenage daughters. <laughs> but that's how it was for me when I was a kid, but we didn't have texting back then. Like right. we, we literally would get dinner, and all five of us, I have two brothers, two sisters, we'd scurry off like rats into our different rooms. Oh, so it was happening then. But the thing was, there was nothing to do in your room. You know, well, there was. You know, read. But well, when did you think you wanted to be a comic? I mean, what was the tipping point of, I want to make people laugh? That's a great question, Earl. And, and I'm going to wrap it back around to, I used to do all kinds of funky crazy stuff with my friends from high school and and you know college all that and i heard for years you need to be funny you need to be a stand up comic you need to you know go to la whatever it was and i was very um uh conservative i was being practical i want to be businessman i want to be in real estate I wanna, you know i want to do whatever be a businessman and so then finally it got to a tipping point where after five years out of college, I was still in the real estate business. I was kind of getting bored. And I went and did an amateur night. At, and I was, I, was, I was petrified. But I said, I've got to do this. Too many people are telling me I, I got to try this. And I want to prove to them that you can, I'm only funny in front of my friends. Because I really didn't think it would translate on the stage. So I do this amateur night at the Comedy Zone. And who's there? Fred Posen. The guy you just met. The legendary Fred Pose. Legendary, right? And so I did the, I, I heard my first laugh and I was done. That was it. I was sold. I needed to hear more laughter because I that filled that void that we as comics talk about, right? And um, I get the laughs. I had done probably six tequila shots. I was so scared. So I really sucked. I, I wasn't even, you know, I, you know, whatever I was doing got was funny enough. And so I threw up in the bathroom too, by the way, before I went on. Stage fright? And the tequila. Yes. It was horrible. And I threw up and I go out there and um, four months later I moved to LA. That's all I needed because I had a friend coaching me that lived here and said, you've got to move out here. He did it for two years and I kept telling him I want to be a businessman. He kept saying, you missed your calling. You need to go to the comedy store. And this uh, phantom friend, you know, I don't really talk to him much anymore was the catalyst to get me here. And I moved in with him in Manhattan Beach. And three months later, I made a phone call. And I someone put my name on the cork board at the green room where the phone booth phones are. And I forgot about telling this guy to put my name up if they ever need anyone. And three months later, I get a call on my answer machine. We had those then. And there was this guy, Phil Rohr, who did the sound at the store for years. And he said, um, we, I got your name. It was sitting on this in front of me here at this corkboard. Um, do you, if you want a job at the comedy store, come see me. I need a phone person. And I thought that was from heaven, that call. It was, you know, three months after I, I forgot I made that call. The call three months earlier. And so it was destiny. It was, it was things are meant to be. So I got it. I was on the phone. And, um, and then, you know, Mitzi would call up and, you know, I knew, I knew this was where I was supposed to be, but I didn't really know her. I was just this phone guy, you know, they go through like lots of phone people. Yeah. So, um, 
I was just another one of those people who was going to come and go, you know, but it turned out that, uh, you know, there were other plans. Now, did you do, how did you start stand up in LA? Like just open mics and coffee houses? Pedersons in, in Venice Beach. That was the first place. I just started doing these open mics. You can't go on at the store. You saw, I mean, it's horrible. I was new at it. I did an open mic. Don Barris brought me on. You know, the first time there was carpet. I was used to being on a stage at the Comedy Zone. You know, those few times I did it, I'm like, there's carpet on the stage. What is this place? Well, you know, it was the workout. It was the gym. And I did horribly, horribly. And I got scared and I went away for two or three years. I just worked the phones and quietly did open mics. Right. Right? Until I felt comfortable um, to do the, the uh, even potluck. I didn't want to be seen. So... Eventually, you know, years go on and trial and terror and you get comfortable and you start to do your bit and you're in your hearing your laughs, your consistent, you know, bits that you're getting the laughs in the coffee houses and you're going, you know, I got five minutes now that I can go. I'm going to go on the OR at the, at the open mic. It was two or three years later. There was a girl named Debbie uh, who was the manager at the store and she said, you can go in here anytime. I don't know why you, but I was, and I had that right up, you know, I had that, um, the end, but I wasn't using it. I just was using, I was being very uh, pr uh, tactical about how I was going to get right. seen the first, I didn't want to be seen when I sucked. And then I was seen and I sucked. <laughs> right. But, but it was sucky enough, but you had enough foundation to keep moving on with your, you know, your bits. But I mean, back then, like to do potluck, which is the open mic at the store, for those of you wondering what that is. There was no crowd. It was just all a bunch of comics. Oh my gosh, that's the hardest part. You're 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 playing to. You're going on one after the other. What do you get? Three minutes. Three minutes, and still three minutes. But now, potluck on Monday nights, it's completely full, like with people. Uh, that's cool. Yo, it's great. So I think that the younger comics are are not necessarily in age, but an experience level too. They don't get like for guys like you and me to do potluck was brutal. There was like maybe five audience members in there. And then the rest are all comics in the back, hoping you're bombing, you know, just like brutal. watching a, a car crash. I hope Joey Earl eats it or right. you know, Vicky Barbalak or whoever's up there. Uh, especially tougher for women. I think back then, because it was like, Oh, who's this fucking cunt on stage? Uh -huh. You know, whereas like guys like you and me, it was like, Oh, well, you know, we weren't, they were loved, but they also probably would love it if we bombed. Right, right. It's that, that's that dynamic. And then we would sit out front at the Laugh Factory. That was three minutes for Mr. Masada. Yeah, buddy, buddy. And, Come back. Oh my gosh. And, and then I've, I used to sit out there with Jamie Kennedy and Freddie Soto and um, a few other handful of people. And my wife would bring us sandwiches. We were broke, my wife, my girlfriend at the time. She, I had just started seeing her and she was like, this poor lonely comic is broke. And, you know, she'd bring me sandwiches. She had a normal job and she'd bring us all sandwiches. That was really sweet. And then of course, you know, we know the game of the laugh factory, but I don't, I've banned myself from there. You banned yourself from yeah. there. You don't need someone doing it. Well, you did yourself a favor. Well, I just don't, uh, you know, I, I, I you know, I had a showcase for him and, uh, you know, he's like, buddy, buddy, you're great. You got the great stage presence, great material. I'll come back in two weeks and make you paid regular. So I come back in two weeks. He's a even, liar. Well, yeah, because I had an even better set that night than I did when he told me all that bullshit. Oh, my God. And I go upstairs thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to get passed. I'm about to get passed at the Laugh Factory. I sit down, he just looks at me and goes, you don't do it for me, buddy. I'm like, well. Oh, my gosh. He's like, you're too monotone. I'm like, well, dude, I, I didn't say this to him, but in my head, I'm like, well, two weeks ago, you said I had great delivery. What's changed in two weeks? And then, you know. So Unbelievable. Just, See, that's what makes me not miss doing this, to be honest with you. The jello of these people, you can't, it's just so frustrating. In business, I I do X amount of work, and I see X amount of results. In show business, you can work as hard as you want. It may I make more money when I work harder, but in show business, that's not the case. X amount of work, 
does not meet e equal X amount of results. And, and, it, and it's that palatable, you know, that, that tangible thing that I can't grab that I is when I said, you know, after uh, 10 years, I just kind of, I quit, man. I know that sounds really, uh, what does that sound like? It sounds like I am a coward or, you know, I don't have kahunas and not at all, but I had a decision to make. And so, you know, 20 something years, 25 years later, here I am at this person, by the way, things happen for a reason. And because I did become a professional stand up and, and, um, was chasing the dream in LA, like all of us and had some mild successes. Uh, Mitzi was a profound impact in my life to where I met my wife and had a family um, because I was in LA and I stayed here because of the store. So you, I, it's, I um, have a very enriched life and I look at all chapters of my life as having some meaning to where I am today. So there's no accidents. It, it, it was, it played out the way it was supposed to. Do you know what I mean? Oh, for sure. I mean, the, the comedy store's family. That's the deepest I'm going to get right now. Well, you just lost my audience. <laughs> Yawn! What do you think this is, a fucking the, the, Can I show them a picture of my daughters? Well, my kid. No, no please, not with my crowd. <laughs> no. Hey, how old is those? You know? They're all they're all blonde, four blonde L.A. chicks. They're beautiful. And right? your wife is stunning. She's still. I outkick my coverage. Yeah. That's what my, my boys in the South say. Well, that's how I felt with uh, Jennifer Molina, like, mm -hmm. especially back in high school. Because like, Jennifer went to a different high school than I did. So no one believed I had a girlfriend at Notre Dame High. They're like, well, we've never seen her. Right, right over here in the Valley. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and I was the class clown. You know Mark Sholin. I probably do. There, there's some guys that I've seen like your stuff that I knew in Santa Clarita. That you grew up with. I can't remember the names. There's a guy. I well, it's a, kind of a weird high school. It's, it's, you know, my mom didn't want me to go to Beverly High, so she sent me to Notre Dame High, and Notre Dame High had more money. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, because it's, it's the Valley's rich kids. Right. And I saw more drugs at Notre Dame than anywhere in my life. So, uh, you know, it's a very interesting. And you'll, you're would appreciate this because when i mentioned this tv show no one remembers it but do you remember the white shadow yes that was filmed at my high school wow which is funny because no, ken ken something ken howard he lives in he lives in santa we, clarita for years well he's dead so he died yeah then he's buried in santa clarita right but i didn't know that. <laughs> I, i'm sorry he's he was the head of sag he's dead yeah okay um, I need to write condolences to his family. Well, you know, it's I, probably I, a little late. He's been dead for about two years, so you're a little late in the game. Once you write, I don't watch E Entertainment Television. I tell you, I live in the suburbs. I do other stuff. But that's I the, play golf. But but that's the bummer about. Uh oh, the TV just turned on. Hold on. Uh, oh, it's the T. It's a TPC. It's in Jacksonville. Yes, Ponte Vedra Beach. That's where I live. I live in that area. But that. Okay. The bummer is Ken like when, Howard. when someone like Ken Howard dies, there doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. TV's on again. Sorry, guys. I'm a one-man operation here. I uh, I don't have any production assistance right now. The golf tournament on is on in the background. I'm trying Isn't to mute. That, okay, can I tell you all something? Please do. I said golf, and then the TV came on and it was golf. Can you say pussy then? Then, then porn will come on. No, I want a girl to just come. Oh, in. you want the real thing? Well, yeah. Okay. I'm 49. I can't jack off as much as I used wow, to. Wow, you're 40. You look a lot younger, dude. He has all his hair. That's another thing show business took was my hair. But like at what point, like I've come close. But wrapping up the thought on. Uh, How about just wrapping up, period? The white. <laughs> Dude, people are loving this. I don't know. I'm telling you right I, now. I don't know. I I'm a guy who is a is a has been. I I was of someone from the pet that no one knows. I, I'm just not sure. I didn't even want to sit here. But this, I went. I came to get him for tacos. 
I know, but and dude, he told me he didn't even say hi to me. He says sit there, and he threw the mic on the couch. But this is I feel completely. I feel like a turd in a punch bowl. I, I learned that line from Hollywood that nights. But my point is, I had to do this. You had to come to L.A. and do... No, I had to have you on this podcast. You did? Because I have so many younger comics. We talk about roast battle. We talk Uh about, you know, things going on in the current L.A. comedy community. But I have so much respect for you. Because you you are... Like, I'm humbled and honored to be, along with Candace Thompson, the first people that Adam, the new... Or he's not new, but like the, the... the newer talent booker, the comedy sort. We were the first two he passed. Uh-huh. And it's a huge, huge, huge honor. I guess my own, only comedy regret, other than not starting earlier, because I started at like 29, which is ancient, is not being able to at least have Mitzi see me do comedy. That's Ye- kind of like the regret I have of never getting on The Tonight Show or something like that. You know what I mean? Like John, the guys who made Johnny Carson... And, and, and we, you know, I was on the jury, you know, I can't mention people who are not here anymore. It doesn't matter, but. It does so. The Jerry Lewis telethon that we filmed at the improv. Hello. I did, I did that with Jeff Ross. The great Jeff the girl, Ross. girl, Margaret Cho was on that. And. Um, I, but that's great. I mean, like so many people. I, I remember don't... Carlos Mencia. When he was Ned. He walk, Ned walks into the bathroom and he's peeing next to me. And he looks over and goes, how'd you get on this? <laughs> Did he steal your urine? You know, he just, people just don't want you to do, you know, this is a very competitive, it's very competitive. Oh my God. And we're peeing next to each other. I go, cause I'm funny. I mean, whatever. You have your time. I mean, he was, you know, he got everything he needed at the store. And, you know, as far as, you know, main rooms and long sets and no light. Eddie Griffin. But now... That Rogan's back. No light. Oh my God! I mean, I think I was in there one night. Rogan's, yeah. Well, Rogan's back. So I'm then, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. You were in there one night, and then you come back to Rogan, right? Well, Rogan's back, so Mencia doesn't really sniff around there anymore. Okay, 2005, uh, yeah. which was maybe the greatest YouTube video ever in terms of like live raw. <sighs> this is happening, yeah. and you know it was just uh, thanks to Brian Redband. Thanks to the camera in the OR. We well, Brian know- Redband was the one who. Uh, I I don't know what his thinking was, but he had a phone on him and uh, or he had a camera and he's like, I should film this. That, was that, smart. that whole thing happened because of Brian thought of filming. It's it. the same guy like with the Rodney King thing. Yeah, that was me. I was like, hey, I can make some money out of <laughs> you this. Got to, you've got to have a camera. Well, I mean, uh, nowadays it's look at Michael Richards. I mean, here's a guy he went on some <sighs> crazy. Ooh. By the way, that was the funniest set I have ever seen him have. <laughs> That's scary. He used to throw chairs in the OR. Mitzi would have to, you know, kick him out. But that's like why I wanted He to- would throw chairs at the audience in the OR. What's the wildest thing you've ever seen at the comedy store? Like, did you see Kennison throw shit? Or- no, I was after him. He had already passed away. I came in a year right after he. Um, I saw Freddie Soto punch Kirk Douglas's kid. What? Who's the actor? Right. I don't know his name. Patrick, I want to say. No, no, no. Kirk Douglas's Michael, Michael Douglas's Douglas. brother had a brother who tried stand up. He looked just like him. He was on and Freddie Soto decked him one night at the comedy store in the front patio. Why? I don't remember. He was he was he was an animal, that guy. He had a drug problem. And um, you remember he got caught on a plane, like he had they had to subdue him. Right. Eric Douglas. Eric Douglas was his name, right? Yeah, Michael and Eric. So Eric, um, I'm sure I'll think of something when I get off this thing. Of yeah, maybe funny you stories. call me back and we'll do a special phone cast. I do have funny story. I, I'm I'm kind of thrown off guard. I'd have to. Well, no, but that's I'll work, I'll this is a raw podcast. Okay, it's raw. Yeah, I mean, we're just like it's like we're at a bar without the the noise. Okay. And I want the I really do this type of podcast for the younger comics to go. To appreciate the history of the comedy store. It was a coveted place. I'll I'll never forget walking down from the Hyatt. The first time I I decided I'm going to just go 
go there just to watch in the back and no one knew I, I was brand new to LA. And I just thought this, which just shivering, I was so scared of how, what a monumental task this is that I'm undertaking. It's there, you know, uh, it's very, very difficult to break into to LA, let alone stand up comedy, you know, just, just LA alone. And then the comedy store and the scene of uh, the LA scene, um, it's, it's not something that is uh, easy. It's just, it's very, very difficult. And so when you get into the family and you're in the family and then you can be yourself, you don't have to be, you know, fake and, and do things that try to impress anyone. You're in the actual store, you're working there, you're coming up as a comic, you forget about the allure of it. Right. And you just work on your craft. But those initial months and years when you're just trying to get in and getting in and, and watching the guys that are, you know, doing it, it's, it's very, it's, you're very threatened. It's very, very difficult. It was very difficult. And so, so as I sit here now, right, as an outsider that I was in, you know, in the sense that I'm here to honor the, the founder of the store who, who gave me that opportunity. And so you do appreciate it, you know, when you oh, come back. It's, no. I appreciate me sitting here. The fact that the words that you've said, hey, you know, um, I respect you or whatever you've said, and it's very kind. And um, I, I take it as a great honor to be, you know, sitting here and to be actually discussing what happened. You know, well, it's such, years. like, I'm a big history fan. So just the fact that you were in the OR performing with Joe Rogan before he was a huge comic and, and would see Michael Richards throw chairs at people and, like, to know Mitzi when she was at her prime. And, like, I just think... Uh, people who are either starting comedy or new within the last couple of years, they, they don't appreciate the incredible deep history of the comedy store. Now, before you say anything, I'm going to cut the Facebook live feed. We've got a couple more minutes that I force people to listen to on iTunes. So I'm going to ask you a question, but I want you to hold off on the answer till I give you the cue. Now, my comedy influences were Carol O'Connor Foster Brooks, uh, George Jefferson, not traditional stand-ups. King, Joey Marmo, before we leave Facebook Live, do you have any sites you want to plug? Are you on Twitter? No. Instagram. You are on Instagram. J Marmo. J Marmo. 29. That's J-M-A-R-M-O 29. Follow him on Instagram. He's always posting funny pictures of him tanning, putting tanning butter <laughs> on his face. It's so thrilling. Watch me in a chair on the beach. Now, Joey, who were your comedy influences? Uh, Rodney Dangerfield. I thought he was the funniest man who ever did stand up. Because there's, there's funny people, and then there's funny comics. Then there's funny people who do comedy. And he was a funny guy. He was just a funny human being. And he was uh, he worked at stand-up, and he became a very funny person who did stand-up. Kennison was, was uh, I loved watching him, you know, before, um, not at the comedy store. I never saw him live, but just, just on television and YouTube – um, I remember that Rodney Dangerfield special in 87 where him and Dice and Don Marrera and Bob Nelson. And that was, that was when I really started watching um, stand-up. Kennison, that was in college, and, and even Dice, just the, the, the nonconformist joke tellers, the guys who were on the edge. You kind of remind me a little bit of Bob Nelson. Okay. The zaniness. Okay, yeah. Their thoughts on that? You'll never or? make it. You won't play here because you're too deadpan. You're too monotone. Ah, <laughs> that's a callback. Right? Well, you know. What does he know? See, I can say anything right now. I have. There's no recourse. Right. I'm going to get on a plane and move back to Florida and retire with all the dead, with all the old people. It's God's waiting room. But, like, you know, 
I respect you so much as a comic that if you said to me, hey, Earl, this joke could be funnier if you said it this way, or instead of using, you know, the band Rat, more people might laugh if you said Leonard Skinner, I would listen to you. Mm-hmm. Would that do the owner... And I don't really care about playing the Laugh Factory. It's a great club, but it's just not my, you know, some people, you know, the store's not their thing. Uh, you know, I can be a little honest. It's like, dude, you were a failed comic. You're going to tell me how to do it? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. You want Richard Pryor telling you something? Yeah, if Richard or like, you know, uh, who, who Jimmy Carr, going back to Jimmy Carr. Uh, he gave me comedy advice once, and it was very simple. But it was like, okay, well, Jimmy Carr's, along with Russell Peters, maybe a few others, are the top comics in the world. I mean, to play a comedy club is almost insulting to Jimmy Carr. He plays theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, if you said, hey, Jimmy, I can get you a weekend at the the Comedy Zone, it would probably be like, uh, I could play the, the stadium next door to it. So I'll take advice from him. Mm-hmm. From a failed door guy? Uh, I don't think so. A failed door guy? That's what he was. Wow. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, if I want him to learn how to do stand-up comedy, I'll go to Jerry Seinfeld, not Greg Dean. Right. You have a really deep, sexy voice. Well, I'm the only white cast member on an all-black cartoon. I jet. was just sitting here listening to you. You have a really, you have a good voice for this. Well, I mean, uh, I think that's part of the reason the podcast does well is I have a deep boom. Yeah, yeah. So I think I you draw got a lot of bass. In, you know, a lot of baritone. Uh, I mean, I play the the dad of a black kid, mm-hmm. so uh, you know, and I I have to say the n word on 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 this cartoon, and if you think. I'm glad you're getting work. Well, it took me. I almost quit several times, to be honest with you. You did? Uh, and there's still times where I think about quitting. Like, probably not too seriously, but like, you know. You, you talking about show business or stand-up? Comedy. Comedy. Well, which is, to Just me, it's one of the same. same. Uh, it's, a ba- it's, a, it's a raw battle, isn't it? Well, it's, it's just there's a lot of politics and a lot of, uh, you know, I come from the school of, you know, I play hockey. And, you know, on every team I'm on, I usually have the hardest shot. I have like this Rain Man hockey shot that's like incredibly hard. It's not very accurate, but it scares people. So I've grown up with Earl, you've got the hardest shot on the team. You're going to play on the power play. Uh, comedy and, and the business of Hollywood is like, well, Earl, you've got the hardest shot on the team. But Joey's dad owns a stick company, and we can get free sticks. So <laughs> Joey's going to play in the power play over here. Right. So that took me years. And I'm still not maybe even used to uh, that mindset of it's not necessarily the funniest get the gig. It's other factors. You yeah. know, like I would love to be on the dais of the Bruce Willis roast. Mm-hmm. I mean, you literally can't conceive of a, a gig that I'm more suited for in terms of an 80s action star. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know who else is going to be on the dais. I hear Stallone and, and like that's there's not a comic on this earth who is more suited for that gig. But, you know, they probably want a bigger name. Politics. So it's just that's uh, it's I still uh, struggle with that. But, you know, it is what it is, I guess. So you know it's i don't think you uh you always have self-doubt i mean even in your prime of comedy did you doubt yourself of course but why like you knew you were passed at the store you were passed by mitzi and yet you still because getting work in hollywood is not a definitive it's a it's a you doubt you just you know you're funny like you have people telling you you're funny you hear the laughter and then you wonder why you're you're running in place right in your career um, so there's no rhyme or reason. I, I don't, you know, uh, but there, there is nothing like hearing that laughter. Oh, it's, I tell people it's a sexual I have high. no, no regrets. It's a, it's when you're in that zone and you, you're hitting every note and for you're up there for 15 minutes and you know, you're A to your Z, you know where you're going. They don't, they know that I know the joke's coming. They don't. And then you hit your notes, you know, you hit your, 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 you know, you get in that zone. It's just, there's nothing like it. 
Oh, it's I, it helped me prepare for life. Because let set- me tell you something. If you can do stand-up comedy, you, you can do anything in this world. I agree. I by I I failed business calculus three times. I couldn't get my degree. You know, my my, my college degree three times. The first time I I took it. It's like taking Chinese calculus. Hey, uh, when I the first time I took it, the professor he was Chinese, <laughs> and so anyway, I failed business calculus. I finally got it when the, the white guy was teaching it. And oh. he, was, he was real a big white guy, and he talked real slow, and we all understood him, and he gave us the test answers basically. And even with that, we had to go and study for six and a half hours to be able to solve the problems. But anyway, what was I saying? Oh, calculus. I up to that point, I thought hey, calculus was the hardest thing I ever had to get. By far, stand up comedy by far is the most difficult thing because what's the number one fear? Getting in front of people, let alone letting them make them. But it, so now in life, as I went into the world and did other things, you know, it's easy compared to what I did, you know, to do, doing stand-up. Well, because you're up there, I often say, like, you can be in a shitty band if you're the singer, and you can look behind you and blame the drummer for being offbeat. You can look to the bass player, and, you know, or the guitar player and go, you guys aren't as good as my vocals. But stand-up, you're up there alone, man, unless you're Willie Tyler and Lester. <laughs> He's he's still around. He's, uh, a good, he's a good guy. He's but see that's what I love. Like you know who Willie Tyler yeah, Lester is. He's a good is. guy. Like, he's a nice man. Um, yeah. But you know it, it's there's so many variables in this business that you know I try now not to worry about stuff I can't control. Yeah. You got a nice place to live. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know you're you're doing well. You have a life. But, you, you know. know Paid regular at the comedy. You got store. the number what on iTunes? It's like number ten. It goes up. And you down. don't keep track of that, but you're number oh, I ten. Do. You're number ten. But I can't. That's even out of my control. I can control putting out a great podcast. I can get, you know, great guests like you who I think offer something different. You know, there's not a lot of guests who can offer your insight into the history of the comedy store, Mitzi. Uh, you know, and, and just the, the trials and tribulations of the wackiness of this business. I'll never forget the first time I heard her, this woman was sitting three sh- seats over from me. I didn't, I, again, that's that time I went in the back and just when I first got here and I didn't know anyone, I just sat there and, and she happened to be showcasing that night. And I, the, this guy was up, this comic, and I just heard her go, get him off. He's, he's not funny to me. And, and I was like, who is that person talking about? He's, and I realized it was the, it was this Mitzi Shore person that they, that's the owner that I heard so much, you know, obviously the icon. And, uh, and then the waitress came up, she goes, go tell the piano, get it, put the light. I want him off. He's not funny to me. I'm like, oh, and she's the only one talking. <laughs> I know he heard her. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh my gosh. And I'm going to have to get up there one day. <laughs> like, I want to do this. Right? Yeah, I mean, I... To hear her say that, like like the first time I ever sat in the back of the store, I that's what I heard. <laughs> it's like, it was petrifying. So anyway, it got a little better after that as time got on, but... And what did she say? Isn't when that you... a cool little story? Is that a good but, story? Yeah. Right? Because, like, you know, I, I think I was in a room once with Mitzi, and, uh, you know, I just... I didn't want to bother her and like you want to hear something more petrifying? Please. Put Joey up there. And that's, put Joey up. Was that your showcase? That's no, this is when after your we were made. And this was on Sunday nights. Freddie Soto would and Bob uh, O'Shack were emceeing. Oh, the legendary Bob O'Shack. And then and Brian and me were, were the Sunday night. We were that was our thing. They Don were, Barris. Don, sorry, I love Don. He was it was that whole little group. And that's where we got so much work so many workouts. But but you'd be like it, it would be a Sunday night show and then Freddie would be hosting and they were peppered with uh, open micers and after the open micers then you'd hear, you know, put so and then you hear put Joey up, you know, that and I get ner- you know, you get nervous. Now, She's there. 
but she was groomed. She was, she was working me out. You know, she was giving me that opportunity to grow and, and a train, you know? And what feedback would she give you? Good, bad? Like, would she like, cause I know a lot of people when they would perform for her, uh, I guess it was kind of an unwritten rule. Don't talk to her unless she signals you to come over. <laughs> right. Right. Well, for, again, this is what's weird. I was a phone guy. I talked to her all the time on the, I was in the system. I was, um, I was in, I had the pulse of the place. I wasn't just a comic outsider. I actually worked there. There was a benefit to that where I had a personal relationship. You know what I'm saying? But so, like, did she know, like, I know this is going to sound strange, but like you can talk to someone on the phone for years and not, she knew it was you. Yeah, like by then, by then I had been to her house to help her out do stuff or, you know, she'd come in and um, no, it was a personal relate. It wasn't some outside, you know, you're one of the family members to some degree. You know, the stories of like a family, you know, what's the mob? Like once it's, you're it's, in, you're it's in a dysfunctional mob family. <laughs> right. So, so to answer your question, no, it was not like that. It was. I had a direct link and it was, that's why I'm saying I am here, Earl, to honor this person who was um, a, a friend and a huge important part of my life for many years. And that will she be. hasn't been for many years because I haven't seen her. When's the last time uh, you had any interaction with her? I brought my daughters to go see her late in, two th in the 2000s because I was still living in California and Santa Clarita. And uh, I was able to bring her my daughters and that was a real thrill. And what did they, did that's, they know the importance of what Mitzi did for you? That's a really good question. They didn't at the time. They were toddler, you know, they were young, you know, 10 and under, but now they do because one of my daughters will probably be listening to this podcast. They're more, you know, they're more hip than me and they know about, you know, they, they were, you know, my daughters worked a little bit in show business, but they're California kids. Um, you know, they know the culture. So they, um, think it's a big deal now that you know Polly's mom and and then I'm part of their family you know type of thing it's a comic and things so our dad used to be a stand-up right you now took a picture of my name on the wall when we were here two years ago on vacation and where is your name on the wall so people when they come to the comedy store so this is not a lie so they actually see that this guy <laughs> actually Oh, it's, that Joey isn't just my gay neighbor. Right, right, right. You're trying to create this really cool podcast. It's well, all, I need a, it's I need a, a ruse. I need a content. I'll just say my gay neighbors have paid regular. Right. No, it's uh, if you're looking at the store from sunset, it's it's just uh, to the right in the back left. I don't know if that makes sense. And do you still get Freddie excited? Soto used to say that to the left. But do you still get like, like, like I said when I walk by my name. It's like, wow, fuck, I'm, I'm I did in. something. Yes, you do. It's cool. It's like, wow, I did that. You're like, you have like uh, amnesia for a while. You live somewhere else, right? You don't think about things like, and you go, wow, okay, that's cool. Well, Joey, I know you didn't want to do this. I roped you into this podcast, but I had to do it. Any final thoughts? on what Mitzi Shore meant to you? Um, I've pretty much said, you know, said it all. She, she just is an important part of uh, the history of comedy, really. She oh, did she a lot for the, she did more for the art form than any one human being in, on the face of the earth in the last 50 years. And um, outside of that, she was a wonderful human being and she cared about people and, um, she was a real person and she didn't care how much money you had, who you were, how famous you were. She treated everyone equally. And uh, I'm happy to say I can call her my friend. All right. Well, guys, I hope you loved listening to Joey. He's one of the good dudes in not just comedy, but life. If all people acted like Joey, the world of stand up in LA specifically would be a lot better waters to navigate so he's not on twitter he has no website 
but go on Instagram, jmarmo29. Look at his picture, send him a DM, tell him you heard him on the podcast, you enjoyed it. Uh, you know the drill, guys. Inappropriate Earl, SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, me and Joey will be at the Comedy Store tomorrow night. It's a private party, only... I believe paid regulars can uh, come and pay tribute to Mitzi. So, uh, you know, tweet your love to the comedy store. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, I've lost both my parents. So I know uh, the unfortunate feelings the Shore family's going through right now. But you remember the good times and you surround yourself with friends who do the same. And, uh, you know, just uh, know that uh, Mitzi is looking down at all the comics she passed and all the comics Adam passed and going, None of you would be there without me. So I can't do a good impression of her. My impression of Mitzi would just sound like Earl. Uh, when you have a voice this deep, you can't really do impressions. So uh, I love you guys. Please leave a review on iTunes. It helps me out. And uh, we'll be back next week with the uh, incredibly talented audience warm-up king, Gary Cannon. And we got a few other... Uh, Stephen Piercy from Rat is coming back for more. And uh, thanks for taking Inappropriate Earl to the top of the iTunes charts. I'm not fucking around anymore. I'm not beating around the bush. I'm eating it. 